You're listening to the Editorial Intelligence special broadcast from the Names Not Numbers Symposium. More information on namesnotnumbers.com. Okay, uh, good, good afternoon, everybody. If we can um, get underway. Um, I hope you've all returned from uh, your afternoon on the beach or the, uh, the botanical gardens, uh, energised, invigorated, oxygenated, caffeinated, uh, and you're all ready for the rest of the afternoon and uh, this evening's proceedings. Um, this session is supposed to be chaired by uh, my colleague Ed Williams from uh, Edelman, but unfortunately uh, he's sick and couldn't make it this weekend, so I'm standing in. I'm Richard Sandbrook, uh, also from Edelman. Uh, once a long time from the BBC, which is relevant when we get on to uh, the matter in hand, which is the future and the durability of television. But first, one housekeeping point. Uh, when this session is over, it's going to be about 30 minutes, it's really important that you all get up the hill to the castle as swiftly uh, and efficiently as possible in order to keep the rest of the afternoon and the evening's timetable on train. And I'll remind you about that again uh, at the end. And just before we get underway, we're going to start off with uh, another EI film. Do you think you already know exactly who you are, or are you going to change as you get older? Well, not really, because you have to think once you get older. So every year you get your birthday, and then you get older each time, and you're like finding out what you're going to do next on your birthday and stuff. Oh, I don't really know. I, I could change, because I have changed a lot since I've got older. So I might change, but I don't think I'll change that much. Because well, when you're like a baby, you don't know anything. And you don't have teeth. Then when, as you get older, you're like getting smarter and smarter. And then once you get really old, you know lots of stuff. And you can go like cooking and stuff and shop. What if everybody was exactly the same? It'd be very kind of boring. Yeah, and everybody would be like, um, hi, you, um, Bob, um, hi, you, Felix, um, hi, you, Nico. And everybody's like, oh no, make no story. And then you're like, everybody's walking around trying to find the same person. But people do like a lot of the same things, don't they, Will? They like... Yeah, well, I think people like a lot of the same things, but at the same time they're not yeah, exactly the same. What are you going to still like now that you're not going to stop liking, that you're going to like for a long time? Our family. Family, because family is the important stuff you need for your life. Yeah, I think that sums up. Okay, and uh, very, very important to bring the voice of youth into uh, our discussions here, but uh, in the uh, interest of full transparency, that was made by one of Julia's kids, and the guy in the Buzz Lightyear pyjamas was also Julia's son, so uh, fantastic, there we are. Okay, so we're here to, uh, to discuss the, uh, the future of television and how uh, durable it is, and I'm uh, delighted to say I'm joined by two people who know uh, probably more than I do about it. Um, uh, Janet Goldsmith and Karen Manderbach. And Janet is uh, a foremost expert on television, currently a uh, media strategist. She spent six years at Mediatique and before that had uh, a career in television as director of Universal Studios Networks and at the uh, ITV businesses Carlton and Meridian Broadcasting. 
uh, and we can guarantee that everyone in this room uh, has laughed at one of Karen's shows in a good way. Uh, she's an Emmy-winning comedy producer, creative force behind uh, The Cosby Show, Roseanne, Third Rock from the Sun, That 70s Show, and more recently, Nurse Jackie. And she runs a production business in the UK and in the US. So uh, delighted that we've got uh, Karen and, and Janet with us today. Now, television. I mean, certainly in the UK, uh, it appears to be doing okay at the moment. Uh, the number of hours consumed seems to be growing each year. We're watching 10% more television than we did 10 years ago, on average, uh, more than 28 hours a week. Most viewing is still with uh, the main free-to-air channels. Over nine hours is spent with BBC television each week. Um, TV revenues appear to be going up. In the past year, the industry has earned an additional £700 million to £11.7 billion, an advertising increase of 11% year-on-year. Uh, and TV sets themselves seem to be getting more sophisticated and giving, getting cheaper. But, of course, behaviours and habits... Uh, are changing very rapidly and there are some uh, worrying evidence from uh, the US in particular and elsewhere that TV is actually more under threat than ever before uh, and if people are taking comfort from those statistics uh, we may be sleepwalking into some kind of crisis. On the other hand when I was on the BBC board 10 years ago we all decided that the TV schedule was over and it was all going to be on demand and uh, the days of the channel were limited and yet 10 years on it appears to be uh, in robust health, and Saturday evening viewing appears to be reinvented. So uh, is that simply a question of getting it wrong? Is it that 10 years ago, or even today, we overestimate what's going to happen in the short term, but maybe underestimate it in the long term? Let's think about what are the lessons from America, which always tends to be ahead of us with these trends. What about the youth audience, uh, the 12s to 34s, that um, advertisers particularly need, and the TV uh, schedulers are particularly after, therefore? Who's going to pay? What's happening to the advertising model? And what does it mean uh, for Britain and for British society where television still plays such um, a central role? So if we start off by thinking about um, America, I mean, um, uh, Janet, let, let's start with you. What, should we be taking some comfort from those kind of statistics about what's happening in Britain? What's happening in the States? How does it look there? Um, no, I think, I think it's a false dawn. And I, I think that, um, as you said, the demise was predicted far too soon. But I think taking too much comfort from what's going on from those statistics and, you know, Downton Abbey success and we've had a good year, albeit off historic lows. And I think, I can't remember what the projections are here, but it'll be something like 10 years before we get back to 1980s levels of advertising on television. So um, I wouldn't take any comfort from it. Um, I think the thing to take comfort from is that when there is something good, when people are telling good stories, when they're entertaining um, people, the audience will find it, but they're finding it in a multiplicity of different places now. They're not going to find it in one place that's really nice and easy and convenient that you know, a network owner can sell to an advertiser a spot for a lot of money and everybody can go home. Um, there's, there's much more choice. Um, people are much more discerning than that, and there's much more availability. Um, so, no, we saw, and one of the things you referred to, um, for the first time, certainly ever um, since I've been tracking it in the U.S., <laughs> the viewing went down amongst the young audience and in three quarters in a row, three consecutive quarters. And before that, what's comforted everybody is that the audience is growing, and yes, the audience is growing because um, the older demographic is growing. But within that, still young people were watching television, and now we're actually seeing that decline. Uh, and Carol, from your point of view as a producer, I mean, what do you think the drivers of change are in the, in the US market? What's, what's going on there? And, you know, if something's going wrong, what is it? Well, there's, a, I think, a lot of stresses on all aspects of the business model. So um, we don't own any shows in America at all. We, it, it, there's no independent 
uh, producing community whatsoever. I know this seems shocking, but none, zero. So 90% of everything you see on television in America is self-dealt. So if it's uh, on ABC, uh, the production company is Disney, etc. So um, we can't uh, bottom up, talk to anybody, create anything. It's all coming from the top down. And I don't know if you, if you share my feeling, but I don't think any corporation should be, could be responsible for crafting, I don't want to call it an art, but you know, for crafting uh, the kind of narratives that we're doing. And then secondary, so the product isn't as good, just period. It's kind of crap, basically. And um, it's, there'll be great stuff, but when I did the Cosby show, I mean, you know, it was, we got a 32 rating. Now the highest rated show has an eight rating. So um, some, something dire is happening, and yet the advertisers, uh, the other bit of the puzzle is weird to me, have never spoken about this. You've never heard an advertiser, even in a situation like this, discuss uh, their role. Is advertising itself effective anymore? We started the snake oil business. You know, you see Mad Men now. You see what it does to the, the psyche of, of individuals, and I question whether or not it's an effective methodology at all. And they're scrambling around not just for the 12 to 34s, but they're scrambling around to get any eyeballs. So they're not happy, and they won't look inward. We're not happy because we know the product isn't, isn't good. And then lastly, I think the third stress on it is that around, um, I think someone here mentioned it before, uh, the time that uh, Fox started and after the Fairness Doctrine was repealed by Reagan. Um, the, uh, ob the obvious thing about, and the joke, um, being fair and balanced news um, means uh, technically uh, that's a fiction. In other words, we mess with the concept of fact versus fiction. And when you mess with that, you're messing with the forces of nature. So we make the most amount of money uh, as a, as a uh, advertise, uh, you know, advertiser supported 100%. We don't have the BBC, more on which later, but uh, we make our money from the news. We don't make the money from the narrative. So the Today program and the, the, the things that are um, on the Fox News channels are the single biggest drivers of, of sales in, especially uh, political years, the two biggest advertising entities would be politics and the pharmaceutical industry, which is 40% of all advertising. And that's the other thing. We were uh, Pharmaceutical advertising was loosed upon us in the... Um, transition, I think it was about eight years ago. Actually saved television a few times. Yeah, it might, it might have. I mean, it used to be the Thursday night, you'd, you'd see the movie ads for, you know, for the weekends. Uh, but now, uh, the drive to actually advertise has gone down. So, in a world in which there is only um, um, advertising models absent uh, uh, the the ballast of the BBC, I don't think there'll be an NBC five years from now, CBS, ABC. I, I, I would stand here and predict, yeah, what's the bother? It's a lost leader. You know, there are other ways to market things. So, what's the point? So if, there's, if, the, if the networks are going to break down, what's going to take their place? Other, you know, just the way it is, fragmented networks that will have to be marketed. Um, and uh, in, in that marketing, there'll be rich people stuff and there'll be poor people stuff. And I think there will be a, a distinct kind of um, movement toward the people that can afford the good stuff, they'll find it, and the people that can't and won't and don't care. So, 
I agree with that, but I don't think the networks will be gone entirely. I just think there'll be a shadow of their former selves. And we were talking about this earlier. It's not that, you know, we're losing our audience and where is it going to? Oh, I know it's over there and there's something that's going to replace it. Um, they'll just diminish in time. And actually it's, it's going over there and over there and over there and over there. And it's going in all kinds of different places. Um, what it does is it leaves the core of what is still attracting a relative version of a mass audience ever more valuable. And so that money will go into making those programs. We don't know how they're going to get funded, yeah. by the way. Well, we're going to come on to that in a moment, yeah. But, and then it will go, then, then there will be paid for, you know, subscription premium television, um, HBO and the like, and that's, you know, you'll get but, good stuff there, but then the rest of it and what happens to the rest of the audience is the cheapest, poorest shit So this is around, a kind of really. a, a council of despair here, really? It sounds like I got out of television just in time. But... I'm going to go with the money. Yeah, okay. <laughs> So as a, producer, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a producer, where are, you, where are you going to be selling your shows? I'm going to sell it to the high-end um, markets, uh, as I have been in America. Uh, most of my dealings are, in fact, I was considered a kook by leaving the network model a few mm. years ago and going on to doing something on Showtime. Everybody said, well, you can't sell uh, off of Showtime. Really? So um, everybody's now flocked in the subsequent years since I moved to England. Um, it's England. I think the other thing is... It, Internationally, we're all speaking the same language. There'll be much more internationally based production models, and I, for one, that's where I'll be. Also, I don't think it's despair. I think it's despair over the business model. I think yeah, culturally, right. you know, people make good movies, people watch them, people make good, people read books, people you know, read stories, I love people the do, and it's the business model. And it is where it, yet you know we've been discussing this actually quite a few times over the course of the weekend. It's the legacy businesses run by the legacy chief executives. Um, that are protecting an income stream that don't actually look to what's going on. So there's a huge le level of innovation going on well, amongst the young as well. well so, so let's we'll get on to the business model in, in a moment. Before we get there, let's talk a little bit more about the audience and the younger audience uh, and what's changing there and the extent to which you know broadcasters are, are, are recognising what's happening and what's adapting. So I mean, the, the, I think the younger very audience are they recognising them, yeah. and I think even the likes of MTV, which you know boasted the youth audience or you know in the start of the youth audience. Um, the, I, I actually think, and Harvey said yesterday that he thinks that the youth have no confidence, and I, I would disagree. I think they have quite a lot of confidence. I think they're having a different conversation. I think they're out there in a completely different place having an entirely separate conversation. And it's, it's probably in the cities and the elite now, but it's not. It's around the universities. They're doing their own thing, and they actually have their own broadcast channels on the web, and they have their own all kinds of interactions with each other and some fantastic stuff going on. Um, so I think it's just that the balance of power is changing. They're going kids, in, and a girl I mentor who's a filmmaker in, in New York, um, there's a lot of social action programming, there's a lot of stuff they do, and she, in order to get her programming funded, is going straight to advertisers herself, having no experience of this whatsoever. But the advertisers are, are saying yes, because it's a relatively small amount of money, and they're getting direct contact with their audience. Um, and it's, you know, they're developing new models for the future. I don't think they're developed yet. I don't think they're there. But they're, what they want to do is tell stories and tell them in a different way. So, so if you were in the executive suite at NBC thinking about how you uh, try and hang on to a, a younger audience, what would you be thinking of doing? No, I'd be counting the days until I retired. Okay. <laughs> That's probably pretty much <laughs> they, what they're they doing. Up, they gave up. The, there was a law. I can't even remember. It was, it was something called prime time something. And it was at, between 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock you had to support the family family audience, and uh, you had to program for the family audience, and then one day they decided to put um, 
NBC decided to put Mad About You, I remember, at 8 o'clock saying, screw off, kids, we don't care. We just want to talk about this hip uh, New York marriage. We, don't, we have no interest in you. We used to have to program to f the family audience at 8 o'clock. Mm. Not that I'm for regulation, but they don't care about them. They gave up a long time ago. But surely the, the big broadcast brands, I mean, they've still got the most brand recognition, haven't they? I mean, they yeah. have, and they can break a show, no, and, and nobody else be a can break a show, and it's the same thing here. And it is a value, and the price, the cost for reaching those 5 million people as opposed to Karen's 32 million people is individually so much higher. Um, because an advertiser, and there's a saying still that operates in America and amongst the media buyers, is you don't get fired for buying the, you know, the, the mid-break and um, modern family. You just don't. It's an easy thing to do. You don't have to worry about being audited. It's all fine. And that becomes ever more expensive. It's just where does all the rest of the stuff get financed and how does that work? Um, if I were at NBC, my thing is, and I did, you mentioned Universal before, and that was the last big company I worked for. And I had started and run cable channels always as opposed to network channels. And it was in the days when, you know, there were five of us and we all did everything. And it was, you know, kids and pioneering. And I remember a very famous TV producer friend of mine said to me, well, you know, when are you going to work in real television? <laughs> I, was like, I thought, I love what I do. This is fantastic. But by the time I left Universal, those are mature businesses and they're just as defensive now as the networks mm. in my view. Mm. And they're never going to innovate. So what does this mean for the TV in the, in the lounge, in the living room? I mean, is that simply they're going to get connected to the internet and become another bigger screen? It's, there's no the difference between... In, in, in well, there's a live event. There, we have to break everything down. There's news, there's live events, mm. there's narrative television, and then there's non-narrative television. So you, I, I watch 10.30 Paxman, you know, I, that's a live event. I, I need to see that. Um, sports, obviously mm. sports is live. It's, uh, so television is for live Harvey would be happy to hear that. There, there's, a, there's a real reason to watch television in a group. Uh, it's a collective consciousness, marvelous medium, fabulous. But when you can time shift, why wouldn't you time shift? I'm not in the mood. I want to mm. watch that later. I want to see this first. Why not, if you can? Mm. So, I mean, are there differences between, you know, news and comedy and entertainment in, in, the, in the way that these changes are playing out? It's yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah. Very much so. I don't, and again, um, I moved to New York two years ago, and since living there, I don't think I know anyone under the age of 40 that actually owns a television set. Me they either. watch it on, on the computer, but they're still watching Mad Men. They're just watching mm. it on Netflix. Mm. Um, it's this, so I think narrative fiction has an entirely different life cycle and a, and a much greater long-term value. And you've seen that in the film industry for years and years and years, actually. You know, feature films don't pay back for 20 years, but they'll continue to pay back for another 40 after that. And similarly, quality drama and comedy in particular, because it's so repeatable, mm. um, has, has a very long-term life cycle. News is disposable. And that's, you know, th th that's an entirely different conversation. We're seeing, you know, what Karen said about um, the advertising going to news, it's not news as we would understand it in this country. Um, <laughs> so, she's absolutely right, but in order to chase the money and chase the ratings, it's just not news. Um, and it's, it's commoditized as it is on the internet, and you know, it, has, it has huge um, potential repercussions for society, I think. So, so we, we've said, you know, the advertising, broadcast advertising model is broken. So who's going to be paying for content in the future now? We don't know. Really good question. Anybody? <laughs> Purses? Wallets? It's a mixed economy. There is an an answer. There no, then this, is, this has been, I think, the difficulty um, both here and in the US. But it's great content. So, I mean, so, you know, there must be, a, there must be a, 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 a commercial model there. People like Karen will go out and get, you know, the yeah. BBC here and... Uh, 
broadcaster in Canada and somebody else and somebody else too. financing and also people who want to, uh, Canada, <laughs> strangely, and Ireland um, have uh, these marvelous um, tax schemes in which you can actually get things because they want people to work there. So there's a little bit of government support. There's a little bit of um, storytelling. If the Germans want to tell their story here, I'll, I'll promote that in a, in a narrative form. There's a lot of um, interest in other countries and what we have to say about our culture. And so I think those financial people will start to share and be, um, um, and there's, you know, in show business, there's always like the greater fool. But I don't think these people are foolish. I think there is value in long-term um, right, product so that, that, that I, I moved here because of this. People say, well, why did you move? What, what kind of an idiot are you? Why did you move to, of all places? It's because I can own, I own the IP. And so, and so how do you exploit that then? Hell no, I don't know, I've just started. I don't okay. know, it took me five years. <laughs> I'm hoping for the best, that's my plan. Okay, okay. Yeah. But HBO, yeah. you know, paid premium channels and here the BBC will continue to finance. And, oh, you you, you know. get money. And so what about brands paying directly for content? Brands Sponsored are doing and... that already and they're doing that. They have, a, they have a thousand routes to market or whatever you want to call it through the internet and that was before Google or YouTube decided that they needed to get into television and so they you know, handed out a hundred lots of a million dollars or two million dollars and they'll um, to different companies to say this is, these are the audiences we want to address, out there you go. They've done it on actually really quite reasonable terms. It's not enough money to make anything decent, but they have allowed ownership and, um, of, of everything these companies are making. And so probably three quarters of it will crash and burn, and then what they're left with will prove an interesting experiment. And many of the people that bid for and won those channels are advertisers. Right. Um, they're going direct to their audience, and they, they're doing it for two reasons, A, because they can and they'll disintermediate the networks, but more to the point because they're looking for effective ways to talk to people and that's the way that they can, as you know, Karen said before, it's the snake oil thing, but actually they can be involved in people's lives. They've all got much more sophisticated... So you'll go to the Ford channel, the Red Bull channel, or the... You know. I think it'll be more subtle than that. I think you'll go to a channel that's targeted around a particular interest that will be sponsored and supported by Nike or mm -hmm. whomever it is. I don't think it'll be about forwards. That was, I think... No, they won't, they won't the allow that, but it's the ethos. Nobody will You'll have the it. ethos yeah. of the yeah. product. But it's where they want to be involved and how they want to be involved with their consumers, and, and they'll, they'll foster interest. And, and, you know, are there, again, speaking from a kind of producer's point of view, are you worried about that, about brand involvement in, in the editorial or in the product, personally. or you don't care? I don't, I haven't experienced it yet. As long as, as, long as somebody's yet, going to fund it. But I, I well, smart brands don't overstep it, and yeah. the bad stuff people don't watch anyway. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, we, yeah. We, we've, yeah. We've had 15 years to discuss this since I first heard about it, and mm. uh, some, something inside me tells me that it's counterproductive for them to be dictatorial, whereas it's completely that way right now anyway. You go to a, any broadcast network and discuss what you want your show to be, and they are so proscriptive mm. that um, it's, it's impossible to actually say what you want to say. It's been the holy grail advertiser-funded programming. It has to be said for, you know, the last 15 years about it's going to save television, and it's not. Um, but it's with the um, lack of scarcity of spectrum these days, the advertisers can go directly themselves, and they'll want to do what works. They're not going to want to just stick their logo out because nobody will watch it. They'll, yeah. they'll go and find the right people to fund, and they'll make interesting programs. And there's a, there, there are some pockets of excellence going on, actually. They are the most um, conservative uh, people on Earth. They, they'll, they'll tip their toe in the water for another 15 years, I think, before mm -hmm. that actually 
becomes um, a reality. Uh, someone told me, I and mean, this may be already happening, but the latest generation of Comcast box, you switch it on, you get a search box, basically, and you say, what do you want, what do you want to watch? Uh, news, drama, comedy, you know, Woody yeah, Allen, whatever it is. I haven't seen one yet, but yeah. I think... I think and so <laughs> the whole thing, and, and when you get, get to it, you won't know whether it's coming off a, a, a schedule or whether it's on demand or, you know, you'll just search for what you want that and up will come some choice. Well, when sense. I moved a few months ago, I had a, you know, and I moved country and so I left all my televisions here and then I mm. moved into a, a new home and so I had, you know, everything installed and I did want it all seamlessly installed so I could hear BBC radio over there. Um, but I had new televisions put in and without anything, I switched them on, I get the internet. Mm. I can get Netflix, I can get anything from Netflix, I can get anything from Hulu, this is on my television. I haven't watched... I don't think a scheduled television program since I've been in America. And I watch a lot of network programs, but I watch them in my own time. And, and how much do you... I mean, you referred earlier, Karen, to the, you know, the, the tearing up of the fairness doctrine, and there's been a lot of relaxation over sponsorship and so on since then in the American market. How much is that driven... American broadcasting to where it is today then? Well, that, that allowed them to be free to uh, organize extremely cheap television, which is sometimes uh, very good for them. They could put the biggest loser on, doesn't cost them any money at all, it's no repeat value, but on the other hand, how much does it cost to film a bunch of people trying to lose weight? And they can also, uh, on the other side of that, there's a weird thing going on in America which you don't experience here, having to do with the class of people, uh, the, the agent manager class who are the brokers of these yeah. things and they want, believe this or not, they want to pump up the amount of money that they spend because they get more money on the A side of the equation. If they have Steven Spielberg and Peter Chernin they get to draw down off those expensive um, people even if Terra Nova, as it does you know, uh, crashes. Mm -hmm. So to a certain extent it, it, it benefits them to have a mixed schedule of wildly expensive things and completely I think there's a fundamental difference as well, which is, is still um, not realized in practice every day between television in the UK and actually in most European countries where there is some form of publicly funded broadcasting mm. and the US, the where the US is entirely a business. It is yeah. a business. It, and so, so, so nothing how starts big a with an editorial. That, I mean, let's start talking about Britain a bit, but how, how big are the three and a half billion intervention through the BBC in the licence fee? It how makes all the difference in the world. You, it's, you, unique, you have a unique business model, which while you could argue is complicated and fraught, is the best one going. Hmm. So that's why I moved here. Because okay. it, it exists. It, it, I know it's a mess and it's confusing and people talk and yak, but it isn't, um, it isn't dire. I, I think the advertising model, uh, advertising-supported television that goes through studios through, which are owned by corporations, is, is, is a mess at the moment. So at least here, and um, I don't know, for various reasons, it works. There it is content and it is about meeting a business and plan. And, and it's, it's the business plan that's developed first, not I have a really good idea let's take it out and see how we can make money out of it. it is, it's, a, it's a commercial um, and, and, ha and how much does the, the presence of the BBC affect the rest of the UK industry then? Enormously. Enormously. Yeah. Without the BBC, you, you first of all you have no business model. They are they are the ones who control the business model. So anytime you have a show with, I know a lot about this by the way, with ITV or Channel Four, they have to react against the public's uh, decision to uh, fund BBC in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And the kind of money they ask for after you've done the show is organized and brought to you by uh, BBC. So right from the business level straight up to uh, the kinds of programming that BBC is already doing for you, so why would you bother? So you've got to fill in what isn't 
uh, you have to, as a producer, you have to look and see what's not there and then what should be there, in your opinion. And so, and so do you think that that is going to mean that the changes in the UK are going to be very different from what you've seen yes, in the US? Yes, very much. But there are still, the pressures are more global generally anyway on entertainment, on the entertainment side. You know, um, programs are now released and actually films are released day and date around the world because otherwise they're pirated and programs, um, television programs um, similarly. So I think it, it can't be entirely isolated. Um, but what the BBC and Michael Grade said it a long time ago when he was chief executive of Channel 4 is the BBC keeps everyone else honest. It sets a level of quality but, that everyone else has to compete with. But technology, against. you're going to see the same disintermediation, aren't you, through yeah, technology? And, absolutely. And, you know, UView and IPTV's coming and you're Absolutely. going to switch on your TV and you won't know what you're watching. So all those UV same forces are going to happen. <laughs> well, well if it's not UV, it'll be something else, but you know. Yeah, they are, but there's regulation here still beyond the BBC that actually protects consumers and, and um, still we have to have fairness and balance and news and, you know. Yeah, you've got the news. This is your it, biggest asset. It's you've not just it. here, it's actually so I shouldn't have here. left two years, okay. I'm pretty sure that <laughs> <laughs> you should have stayed. So... You don't think, therefore, that, that you know, you think the BBC is going to be here in 10 years' time, you're still going to be selling shows to it, and you don't think the changes are going to be as drastic as you've seen in other markets? I think the BBC couldn't markets. be invented now. Mm. That's right. Um, no, that's but I sure. don't think you could get rid of it either. And, and then just reflecting back on some of what we've heard in other conversations uh, through the day, um, you, know, we, you referred to it at the beginning know, about you know, old executives trying to protect legacy models. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, is that happening in the UK television as well, in UK broadcasting? So, you know, is, it, is, is doomed to failure, in which case what's going to happen? I, I mean, I don't think it will look in 10 years' time as it does now with the, with the um, strength of the other networks outside of the BBC. I don't. I mean, Channel 5, you've already seen here, is marginal um, and kind of operates in an entirely different orbit and a different universe. Um, ITV is trying to be a studio and a production studio and you know they've had a much better time in the last year but I think long term it's there it's a bit of a lowest common denominator thing that they're that they're going for and Channel 4 is still uniquely protected to an extent but um, you know and and but it's a very much more difficult position for it to sustain it used to be 10 years ago people would come from all over the world to look at Channel 4 to see this marvelous experiment that was created I mean and it was engineered Channel 4 actually yeah. for social reasons which is amazing um, and again, that wouldn't happen today, but it's, it's thrived for a, a very long time in a quite difficult environment. But how to ensure that when, you know, when now there is no scarcity of spectrum, when everybody can have a channel, it's going to be a very much more difficult thing to protect. All right, I'm going to open it up uh, for, for questions from the audience in just a moment. But, but sort of final question to each of you, uh, from your perspective and your businesses, what do you think, you, what business are you going to be in in five or ten years' time, if it's going to be different from today? Oh, I'm only interested in all the new end of the business because it's much more fun. I'm a much better creator than defender. So, and it's, to me, it's where all the excitement is. It's where, it's where all the innovation is. It's where everything's happening. I love, you know, and I'm not. I don't like Facebook. I don't like Twitter. I am a terrible old-fashioned so, person. So what are you going to be creating? Um, but I'm going to be creating ways to communicate with people, ways to let media get to people. Um, and actually, I mean, personally, I'm, uh, since I moved channel. back to America, I'm obsessed about news. So I'm mm -hmm. going to try and, I don't know, bring some semblance of news back into <laughs> right. Good. I'm with you on That's that like one. That's like a personal mission, though. I'll, jo I'll join you on that one, Karen. 
I'm hopeless. Um, I love writers. I love actors. I love storytelling. I'll um, try to do this for as long as I can until there is no business model. Um, I, I particularly like comedy. It's um, something that I do well and something that I enjoy. If I go back to theater, don't be surprised. I started in theater. Um, you know, somehow I, I was the I was the girl who organized my family and put on a show for my grandparents. Somehow that's in me. I'm bossy. Okay. I don't know what to say. So, so, <laughs> so, so, the, so the impact of technology is going to drive you back to the stage, basically. That's, <laughs> that's okay. right, probably. All right. I'm sure we've got questions in the audience. Who'd like to uh, kick up? We, that, that is the post-digital. We can get a, a microphone, uh, one here and then one behind there. Uh, hello. Both of you have mentioned the uh, fragmentation of media and uh, also class, that there will be a sort of upper-class TV and lower-class TV yeah. in the States. Um, we still have the BBC here, but as everything becomes centred around special interest groups and perhaps social classes, do we end up with a fragmentation of society and lack of national conversation, both in politics and in culture? I think it's a huge question. I really do. I think it's a huge, huge question. And if you look particularly at the fact that <laughs> the young people are not watching television as much and indeed even when you know still it was all okay a year ago young people were watching so much less than we and I say we not you um, <laughs> did as children and actually that's what informed our you know values of society that's where we got our media from and that's where we got a lot of the values and whether they were good or bad or reflected it was so much an intrinsic part of, of what we how we learned and how we grew up and that's not happening now. And so where is that going to come from, I think, is an enormous question. I don't have the answer, um, and I think it's slightly scary. Uh, okay, we've got two questions there and then one over there. Yes, so first... Um, uh, my name is Satish Kumar, and um, I would like to ask about... The, you mentioned the quality of the television is very bad, particularly yeah. in the United States. Perhaps in the UK, slightly better. But uh, also, lots of people feel here in the UK that also our quality is not as good as it could be. Mm -hmm. So, um, and quantity as it increases, somehow it seems to me the quality decreases. So, uh, how can we improve the quality of the television? So it's really educational, informative and entertaining, but not just entertaining and just money making. That would be my question. Well, the business models have to change, um, and they are changing, so that's, that's lucky. As I said, in America, it's corporatized, it's top-down, you have to do this, it has to be that, this is what we are looking for, you've got to fill that out. So we can't, be, we can't do that anymore because, by definition, if someone's telling you what to do or what to create, any kind of an artist goes, no, I, I don't, you just react against that, you can't. It's, it, so that's just as a non-starter. So I'm hopeful that it'll crater sooner rather than later and uh, form in some other way a business model. The advertisers, as I said, are, are not helping because they are very conservative and they only want what is a done deal. They don't want to engage with an audience that doesn't already <laughs> like them already. So until that stops happening, I'm afraid we, we've given away the, the mythologizing, the entertainment has to come on the back of a value-added experience. I think comedy is a value-added experience. I think something educational or a bit of a takeaway, hmm, did you know that? Even in all of my comedies, they're, they're just sitcoms, but we always aim to have, what is this about? We'd say, what is it about? And we'd actually have to answer the question. All of us collectively would say, well, what is this episode about? And we need to do that as a society. And if, if we're allowed to, most of the people that I know in the industry are lovely, 
smart, amazingly uh, talented, really truly talented um, people who are collaborative and stuff, left alone will be in better shape. So that's why I came here, because at least I know it's the BBC, it's complicated, Channel 4, complicated, Sky, complicated, but at least, there's a, um, uh, at least there's the intention to leave you alone. And so I think to the extent that we're not um, bullied or prescribed to or told what an audience wants and, and how to get it, we're told how to get it. So they should back off. It used to be, you know, a couple beers, a couple laughs, let's put on a good show. And you read the history of the, uh, ITV or the wonderful great people who were the legacy uh, of, of the industry here. They basically said, just let the creative people and you know get out of the way. And I think the more we can do we that, the better the shows would be. The better the shows would be, personally. Okay. So maybe a hopeful note there. Yep. Um, I'm Neil Stewart. I founded uh, Policy Review TV on the internet about four years ago. Oh dear. Um, <laughs> this seems such a strange conversation to me. Um, it seems that you've all yeah. been captured by the fact that really for 20, 30 years you owned the technology and the screen and it was too expensive mm. for anybody else to have any access. What you've talked about is a mass entertainment model found, funded by big budget advertising. Now, in the world of media, that's a very tiny and declining element. As Absolutely. You said, as you said, it, probably would have been in trouble if it hadn't been for, you know, adverts for pharmaceuticals, for your hemorrhoids and all the other things for the aging populations of Florida. Um, when, I, when we do television, we, when we built it, what turned out to be most important wasn't so much the screens and the quality, it's the speed of the broadband, but what was behind it was the content management system. You have to be able to answer the question, who's watching, how long are they watching, and can you interact with them? And do you have the databases to get to them? And advertising models, by and large, can't answer that, which is why I hardly ever meet advertising executives. I meet uh, marketing executives. Right. And we do what we call narrow casting. I do one broadcast. It's not gripping, and a lot of it's day TV, and some of it's what people call business-to-business -business TV. And I get horrified when I listen to television executives sort of spit in disgust at the idea of, business to business or narrow audiences. We do one set of programs which probably only have an audience of about 300 opticians who are fascinated by um, uh, contact lenses. And when I said to them, why do you pay so much for this programming, etc., they said, because each of these people spends £2 million. You have to know where your audience is. It is true about them being rich. And by the way, it's often not coming out of people's personal pockets. It comes out of their uh, business pockets. If you make big programs in the future, rather than be able to sell them to one distributor in Britain, you might have to sell them to 500 distributors, people who reach segment after segment. Mm -hmm. And it's all going to be about segmenting. And it's hard work. Mm -hmm. It's very, very hard work. And I've hired a lot of people from television, and they just can't cope with it. Very good. Okay, uh, okay so let's, go, let's go to John. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear Janet say she's going to take news to America. This is, uh, they've needed yeah, well, it for a long time. But, um, although that's not to say we haven't feasted on how they did it, and we just tried to do it as well. Um, but it's a, a long time since they taught us that. Um, I, I believe we are entering the golden age of news and current affairs, the golden age of journalism. 
we have finally seen the democratization of, of information and television is playing an unexpectedly large role in it and I think will continue to play an unexpectedly large role in here. it. Here. Yeah, here, here. And that's the interesting thing. We are no longer um, a dependent fossil uh, hanging on to the shirt tails of American You're cool. Enterprise. It's the other way around, actually. It's now the You're other cool. way around. Yeah, that's yeah. It's now the right. other way around. And, and that is enormously exciting. I mean, the amount of stuff we ship back to, the, to America... Uh, be it uh, ITV or Channel 4, I'm leaving the BBC out, they know their own business, uh, but what we do. And um, what I think, uh, where I'm disappointed is that you don't, you're not interested in the role that television plays in a multi-platform age. Because I think actually that Twitter, Facebook, uh, the social network generally, is now interacting in a way we've longed for. You know, when I started in television, you've got a couple of letters in green and underlined in red, and that was about okay. the only conversation you had with the audience. We're now having a nightly conversation. I tweet during the television news, whilst I'm working, whilst I, I'm presenting. I agree with and, you for live programming, absolutely, yeah. for yeah, live programming. And, and I, I, we're also leading people to water through uh, Twitter. I'm at the moment involved in a big Twitter campaign to get people to watch our second Sri Lanka Killing Fields uh, documentary, which may yet result in war crimes prosecutions. That's the power of television, and it's going to have more power. All right, John, thanks very much. And so just one last sentence. We've run out of time. Social media interaction, television, is it, is it going to that's give more, a new that's life? That's less uh, in, of interest to me because I don't believe in collective narrative. Okay. I think for live television, you're absolutely right. And I think that's what, you know, it, that, that's the beauty of what we've seen in terms of news coverage. And, um, and, and it's certainly true here. And it's true in America, except that in America during Egypt, during the uprising in Tahrir Square, the only place I could actually get live pictures was um, Al Jazeera. Yeah. Okay, so we've run out of time. Thank you, Janet. Thank you, Karen, very much indeed. Uh, signs of hope there.